Welcome to our Coptic Orphans podcast, Cool Copts Doing Cool Things. In our bi-weekly podcast, we'll be talking with the most interesting and influential people we know in Coptic and Egyptian circles. I'll also be bringing you up to speed on what Coptic Orphans is doing and how, by God's grace, we ensure that fatherless children are cared for, loved, and educated to reach their greatest potentials. We are so happy to sit down today with Hany Tekla, Coptologist and the co-editor-in-chief of the Claremont Coptic Encyclopedia. Hany is also the director of the St. Shenouda Center for Coptic Studies and the author of numerous publications on rare Coptic manuscripts and Boharic and Sahidic literature. He is the founding president of St. Shenouda the Archmandrite Coptic Society of Los Angeles, which is dedicated to the preservation and promotion of the Coptic Christian heritage among the Coptic diaspora across the world. Henny, in addition, has taught Coptic courses at UCLA, St. Athanasius and St. Cyril Theological School, the University of Notre Dame, and many other places. Since 1979, he has been doing essential work documenting and translating hundreds of Coptic manuscripts. Henny, thank you so much for joining us, and we are privileged to have you here on Cool Cops. Thank you very much. Uh, just um, one comment, my resume or CV just looks a, a lot more uh, illustrious than uh, it really is in reality, but uh, thank you very much. Not at all. I think you're being very humble because I saw the CV and it is <laughs> miles of work to be impressed with. Um, but we have so much to cover, so let's get started with our first question. Uh, can you tell us how you initially became interested in Coptology? It's a very interesting story. I'll try to be brief as much as possible. Um, I discovered later on in life that my family came from a place in uh, Upper Egypt that is close to the St. Shenouda Monastery in Sohak. And uh, the family was called El Dari. Uh, that's on my father's side. And then on my mother's side, it was called Abusneta, which is a derivation of uh, the Greek name of St. Shenouda. So uh, I ended up with a very interesting mix. But all this I found out later in life. Mm. Uh, what happened is, uh, while I was uh, still living in Cairo, at the age of 12, I was going to Sunday school, walking. Uh, it's about two blocks from uh, where I was living. And all of a sudden, a thought came to my mind that uh, I need to learn Coptic. Wow. My father didn't know any Coptic. He never encouraged me. No one the church did. It just appeared out of nowhere. Well, I did not get a chance to do any learning in Coptic. All I've done was uh, to look at... Uh, Coptic written in Arabic and try to associate with the Arabic. That's as much Coptic I was able to do. Uh, somehow we were able to emigrate to the U.S. and uh, my immigration story is on a blog if, uh, if you want to read it. Then it took maybe a year or so we got enrolled in Sunday school in, uh, in Los Angeles and the teacher was a student of Tesuni Anjim, who was the, the wife of now Saint Bishoy Kamer. Uh, and uh, she spoke Coptic, 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I learned a few things from there. The regular one that you learn in uh, in the church, the hymnology and reading uh, certain uh, liturgical texts. And then I took off on my own and start studying until I went into uh, UCLA, the university there, which is a different story. But anyway, uh, things happened and I got delayed in my engineering degree. I went into the fifth year and uh, lo and behold, even though I was responsible for all the delays, uh, they were offering a Coptic class. Wow. So I took it, and uh, it totally changed my perspective on Coptic. It opened, I would call it Pandora's box, but uh, it opened a horizon that I never imagined that it existed. But there were two things in the class that motivated me, that uh, the professor said. One, he was answering a question about pronunciation. He said, this is the best we can do for a dead language. I took that really personally. Mm. The second thing was we were looking at some books about concordance of the New Testament. He said, oh, we don't have one for the Old Testament. That job probably would be left to the people in the clerical in Egypt to do. Uh, the scholars uh, won't be bothering with it. So I took that as uh, a marching order. Mm. <laughs> and that's how it got my interest into Coptic studies through uh, trying to uh, preserve the Coptic Old Testament. Wow. Which eventually, decades later, I wrote my thesis on. Amazing, amazing. The, uh, the series of events that it took to get you to where you are, that's so inspiring and really incredible. Yes. Looking back at it, it was definitely guided by higher authority. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, wow. And I hear you have some fascinating stories about how you've acquired some of the manuscripts that you have. Uh, can you tell us one of the stories, maybe your, your most interesting or the one of the many journeys you've taken to, to get one of the manuscripts? There was a series of manuscripts that actually generated later interest uh, in me. Uh, that was manuscripts from 9 to 17. Uh, I ended up going to eBay in 2002 because they were selling something that they weren't supposed to be selling. Anyway, I did some detective story and of course any place I go to I look for Coptic stuff. And I always wanted manuscripts because what we had before was just pictures of the manuscripts that we got from Europe. So uh, one time in 2008, I believe, I saw a very nice page that someone had uh, there from Massachusetts. So I asked him, do you have any more? It was a liturgical one. He, He said, yeah, I have five more. And then two days later, he sent me an email. He said, I have a friend that has more from the same collection. So I will talk to him and see if, uh, if he wants to sell it. And eventually we got these was maybe 120 different sheets from multiple manuscripts. Lo and behold, I discovered that this used 
to be in possession of an archdeacon of Manchester back in the mid-19th century. Then I learned that the British came in, in Egypt in 1815. And that was a different story that I heard uh, a couple of decades before from a priest that used to serve there, that they thought Egypt was a very important important element in the end of days. Mm -hmm. And they didn't think that uh, there were Christianity in there. Mm -hmm. So they dispatched uh, a mission there in 1815. And they came in at the time that uh, we had the Holy Week. And of course, the church was not at its strong points. But during that Holy Week, you can never figure that one out. Everyone was going to church. Mm -hmm. So they came back and said, oh, uh, the church is alive and well, but they need literature. Because at that time, we uh, only had manuscripts used in the church. So what they did, they went around and uh, started printing things in London for the benefit of the church so it can be distributed in Egypt. I ended up uh, finding a couple of volumes uh, here and there. I was able to figure out that stage in the development of the Bible because they were concentrating on uh, biblical literature. Uh, and I ended up collecting uh, several of these items that we have it in our uh, own museum as part of the development of the Bible in Egypt. Mm -hmm. We have a nice exhibit on that that goes from 2nd century all the way into the early 20th century. Mm. So that was really uh, one of the interesting things that uh, I found in the manuscripts. Of course, there are plenty more, but you don't have the time, <laughs> so I won't go into it. But mm. just uh, we ended up uh, one time with a one and only type manuscripts of the writing of uh, a particular uh, patriarch. There's nothing like it wow. that is preserved. Oh. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have it digitized uh, on the internet soon. Yeah, and, and it sounds like this started even before really the full scope of the internet existed that we have now and I'm sure over time uh, it's kind of the, the... Well, I started with the internet back in 1995 mm. and I put the first Coptic lessons there Wow <laughs> and, uh, so, and it grew uh, there uh, Yeah Wow, can you tell us a little bit about why it's so important to preserve Coptic texts like these, why is making them available uh, digitally or available for research so important? Well, the idea of the society was to make sure that uh, the newer generation will be connected to the church. And the only way you can do it is through an identity, and the identity has to do with the language, and no one would want to learn the language unless there's something to read. That's how it really started with me. So I went into two different directions at the same time. Try to 
teach students uh, Coptic uh, and raise them beyond the level that uh, was in the church and introduce study of these texts to them. And I worked with uh, with a group in the late uh, the early 1990s, group mm. of eight people, and at the same time provide material for scholars so they can do the work for us that will benefit us because they have a background that we don't have. Mm. And we have been successful with the scholars much more than the students, at least in uh, how we uh, produce fruits. Mm. However, uh, lately, apparently, uh, what we have done have inspired some young people to pursue Coptic studies from different directions because Coptic studies is uh, has many facets. Okay, it has it's a combination of art, history, language, and literature mm. all put together because they are interconnected. And in essence, they tell you the story of the people, mm. which is what we are interested in more than just specific story of the church. Yeah, of course. That is a subset of it, but mm. not the whole mm. And I like what you said about the importance of us finding our identities in the, the literature, in the text. It's something that we can hold and read, and that's important for any uh, group to have for their own. And what advice would you give for for someone who maybe is interested in similar work in manuscript preservation and studying Coptic art or Coptic literature, uh, what, what would you advise them to do uh, for all of your experience? Well, there are specialized uh, universities that have these programs. At the same time, there are places where uh, you have what they call uh, interdepartmental type uh, courses. Uh, where they can introduce Coptic. Uh, the only way that uh, we can promote uh, Coptic in academia is if, if there are students that are willing to learn. Mm. And for someone to go into that career, it's a sacrifice. Mm. So not many people would do it. But at the same time, there are always people that can integrate uh, some of these courses, because even engineering, we were required to have courses in, uh, in humanities yes. in order to to polish uh, our understanding of, uh, of the world. So uh, we are trying to promote uh, through universities uh, courses in Coptic. We have done uh, much work with Claremont over the years, since 2007. Uh, and uh, with UCLA, uh, we are working with uh, having conferences, uh, annual conference, the first of its kind on an annual basis wow. uh, that is done. And that allows to host the most sacred of all uh, meetings in Coptic Studies, which is done every four years, called Coptic Congress, over at Claremont in 2016. So this is once-in-a-lifetime in a opportunity that anyone gets to do something like this. And uh, 
I happen to be the one that organized it. So that's that's top of my achievement, so to mm. speak. Well, that's really impressive the the work that you've done and not just that but the lengths to which so many people have gone even if there's not a ton of people studying this it's the passion that matters and the dedication and clearly you've you've dedicated so much of your life to this study and it's such a amazing thing to hear that i think many of us we hear so little about coptic language it's just really in church but outside of church we don't get to interact with it much and it makes me really happy to hear that there is so much more happening behind the scenes when it comes to this kind of preservation i think we're we're out of time for today but it has been such a delight to have you on cool cops and i am truly inspired by your work that ensures that the language and our history never disappears do you have any last words for our listeners before we go? Learn Coptic. If you need any resources, just uh, we are uh, on the internet. Just look for us. And uh, the internet was really a miracle in the spread uh, of Coptic and uh, the Coptic heritage. Mm, absolutely. Even though it has its bad side, but with everything in life, there's always good and bad. You just have to be selective, and we are given free will in order to be able to be that selective. That is true. That's the lesson of the day, everyone. Learn Coptic. Uh, I thank you so much. I hope everyone feels as inspired as I do after our chat. And to everyone who is listening, thank you for your love and prayers and support for the children of Egypt. And you can follow us on our Twitter and Instagram at Coptic Orphans. And visit our website, CopticOrphans.org. And on behalf of the Coptic Orphans team, thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Cool Cops Doing Cool Things. Mm-hmm.